This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Cruise Control, Matt Car Show here on BFM. Of course, as usual, I'm joined by my two friends, buddies, compatriots, uh, colleagues. I don't know how many more words I can use to describe them, but they're both here with me tonight. Of course, the man with the news, Arif Ruse. Say hello, Arif. Aw, car show friends. <laughs> and of course, that other flat. It is uh, Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, and how do you spell compatriot? C-O-M-P-A-R-I-T-A-T-E. I'm so glad you could do that because I can't spell it. <laughs> You're really good at spelling these. Right, now, if you want to get in touch with our show this evening, we recommend that you use Instagram and get us over there. Arif, where can they find that? It's at BFM Cruise Control. See, I'm doing all of this selling stuff right at the beginning. Now, uh, car show in three parts. We're going to start off with some news, then we've got some car launches, and then, of course, we have a used car review at the end. It is the 2009 Mercedes-Benz E-Class. W212, correct or not? Correct, Mundo. All right, let's kick off with some news then. Arif, what have you got for us this week? Uh, we are going to start with a little bit of an interesting news. The transport minister mm-hmm. is thinking about congestion charges in KL city centre, but only when MR3 Circle Line has completed or when local public transport has become viable for Klang Valley folk, which <laughs> Sorry. is a bit of a joke, right? Well. <laughs> yeah, so quick thoughts. I think it's a very good idea. No, I think it's a great idea. It's just yeah. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Yes, exactly. And then how are you going to implement this congestion charge? And then how are you going to make sure people pay? And how are you, how are you going to find people? You know what they're going to have? They're going to have toll gates getting in and out of the city. Mm. More tolls. <laughs> you heard it here first. You heard it here first. To yes. get into the city center, you're going to have to go through a toll gate, pay your congestion charge. There you go. Done. Mm. Do you think we'll still be using RFIDs by then? Ah, RFID, <laughs> the super reliable system that's running right now. That's an interesting thought. It'll still be around in about 75 years. So Yes, yes. Anyway, we've got some actual real news, don't we, Daniel? Yes, and this is not very good news, but uh, it's a fact. Tire prices are going up. I heard about this actually uh, last year. I was actually um, rudely informed of this information by my regular tire shop guy. No, he's a great guy, actually. But why I say rudely is because he said... Uh, you know, I, I, I've been buying the same brand and size of tire for one of my cars. So when I went to pay, I just took out cash and I, I put it on the table and said, Hey, brother, you're short by 40 ringgit. I said, why, why do I need to pay you an extra 40 ringgit? He said, no, the price has gone up. I said, since when? He said, when's the last time you bought tires? I said, well, more than a year ago. He said, yes, during COVID, prices went up. I said, uh-huh. what, is there a COVID charge of handling the tire? He said, no, prices did go up. And then, of course, I won't argue with him. I took out extra 40 ringgit and I gave it to him. And then I said, you know, wh- when did this happen? He said, it's been inching upwards slowly because of logistic costs, raw material costs, factory issues and all that. Mm. But, you know, it was like a 5 to 10% increase. And what happens is some of the increases were absorbed by the tire company. Mm-hmm. Some were absorbed by the tire shop as much as possible with regular clients. But of course, you can't discount it completely that they are going to absorb everything. Yeah. But now for 2022, tire prices will go up by as much as 30%. What? Yes. And this is quite surprising because after speaking to a few of the big tire brands, I realized that petroleum, crude oil, is also used in the production of tires. 
Yeah. And shipping cost has gone up by a huge margin. Plus, labor cost has gone up. So, when I say as much as 30%, that's for imported tires. Tires that are locally made, we have quite a number of factories here and also, in our, you know, we have rubber here. Still, mm. the prices will go up by 10, 15, 20% depending on the sizes and depending on what kind of mobility they have in terms of moving the raw materials. So, you could be seeing a branded tire which used to cost, say, 500 ringgit. Soon, it'll cost 630, 640, 650 ringgit. Aye. And that's... The, Roughly the price of an SUV tire, you know, I'm talking like, you know, Proton X70, uh, Mazda CX-5, Subaru Forester. Their tire prices are around high threes to high 400s, you know? Mm, yeah. mm. And I'm not talking about specialist tires. I'm just talking about good imported tires. Mm. Now, to sort of uh, work around this issue, I was told by my tire shop guy, maybe you should look at buying a China-made tire. Oof. Mm. Okay, when I say China-made, I'm also talking about a Chinese brand. A lot of big names, Japanese, French, and American brands, are also made in China in localized factories. But there are also a lot of made-in-China tires from Chinese brands like Salen, Linglong, Road One, Landsale, Aeolus. And these brands are actually quite well-established. They are selling tires by the millions of units, and they are also selling globally. Now, we might not look at them and say, oh, you know, made in China, Chinese brand. But actually, they're quite good tires. They have shared technologies, just like what they did with cars and battery and, and consumer products. Yeah. And these tires are actually pretty good. But they're a lot cheaper. Mm. Now, why are they cheaper? Don't ask me. Is it because of production costs? Is it because of R&D costs or what? I don't know. But if you actually look closely, you'll notice that a lot of people, especially in car parks, even premium cars are using made in China tires, you know? Mm, mm. I remember uh, an old taxi driver friend of mine used Chinese tires regularly, and he treated them like fast fashion. Buy a set of tires one month and then change them out the month afterwards. And he was quite honest about it. He said because they were so cheap, he could just switch them out and change them. He said he didn't feel as though they were reliable long term. But, you know, if, if you just need the quick set of tires, he was quite happy to buy them every few months. Yes. I mean, years ago... When Chinese tires came into the market, the people that were really using them was the hardcore 4x4 guys because why? Mm. They are going into the mud and everything else. You, you you don't need to have absolute traction because you're not going fast. You just need to get out of the mud. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And fleet owners were starting to use them for vans and everything else because the cost was low. And like yeah. your friend, I know some taxi drivers at last time also, they were using uh, Chinese brand tires and they said they were fine because they were so cheap and they lasted quite well. Of mm. course, you know, don't talk about wet weather handling or extreme handling because taxi drivers are not driving that fast anyway. They mm. just need enough traction to make sure they don't go off the road, you know. But today, these tires have all moved up. Yeah. To be honest, um, probably a couple of years ago, I, I tried uh, one of these Chinese tire brands. Honestly, very, very good experience for the first six months. And then, you know, the performance dropped towards the end of its life. But quite enjoyed those tires. Just Arif, can I guess, were they land sale? They were land sale. <laughs> yes, you see, you know, why, why I could guess that is because I've noticed a lot of premium car owners using land sale. And then when I asked them, I said, you're driving a premium car. you got money. Why are you using land sale? <laughs> oh, I like the thread pattern, bro. <laughs> the thread pattern. Yes. Mine was just mainly because we had a few land sale tires on my mom's Hyundai Santa Fe. Okay. thought it was really comfortable. And uh, I think land sale was one of the... Uh, few Chinese brands that offer UHP tires, ultra-high performance tires. Yes. So. And they're also a very established tire manufacturer in China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd buy them if I bought a track car. So anyway, so if, if you are you know looking to 
you know, save a little bit of money and you're not really particular about high-end performance, start looking at these Chinese brands, Landsail, Salen, Road One, you know, why not? So we do have a next story, which is quite a, a, a quite interesting one. It's about carrying cars. Now, the thing is, you know, when I saw this, I said, oh, it's a container? So what, you know? They just put a car in a container and move it from point to point. But it's not just a container. This is a company that comes from... Um, years of transporting vehicles around uh, Klang Valley. They're actually one of the biggest and they've been around for like 30 years and they've been doing really well. And now what happened is they've decided that it's time to go into a little bit of premium movement vehicle or something I would say that has been done in Europe for many years. Now, Mm -hmm. as you know, when a normal car carrier moves vehicles, it's open. So whether it rains or there's road grime or, you know, some guy is kicking up dust to the air, your vehicle is subjected to it because why you're you're in an open carrier. Mm. Yep. Now yes, you have the prime mover head in front that's that's covering most of it, but still imagine now some of these cars like I, I gave a simple example, the Mazda CX five in sole red color. That's a very unusual color. It's a very hard color to match. Now imagine this car is being transported from say uh you know Inocom mm. up north, right down to Johor Bahru. It's a long journey, it's in a car carrier open, you got, you know, rain coming in, you got all kinds of other elements coming in, and all you need is one little stone or one little residue from something to just hit that car body and you'll get a small nick. And to polish it off is not possible because sold red, that mica paint is very, very hard to match. Mm-hmm. Then you arrive back at the dealership and the dealership is looking at it and they're trying to figure out will the owner see it? And you know, all this takes time, effort and and a lot of will, money. Will the owner see it? <laughs> of course, because you don't need the new car owner to see it and reject it, right? So the only option is to look at how you're going to protect the car. Now, you can cover it in plastic, put it on a car cover and everything else, but it's not going to be 100% perfect. So what this company, Star Trek Carriers, realized was they needed something that's high-tech, something that's enclosed, and something that works very well. So this trailer, as you can see it in the pictures, actually comes ready-built from Italy. Mm. And in Europe, they've been using this kind of car carriers for transporting high-end cars all around Europe for the past few years. So the owners of this company saw it, they bought one, they brought it back to Malaysia, they they hooked it up to a Scania Prime Mover, and they've started this service for now, it's from Kuala Lumpur to Langkawi. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. So why Langkawi? A lot of premium cars are bought tax-free. As you know from previous launches, they always give mm. the tax-free price. You know, the Rolls-Royce tax-free price, McLaren tax-free price. Rich people in Malaysia enjoy tax-free purchases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you have to store the car in Langkawi. So you get Star Trek carriers to pick up your car. They put it in this carrier. They transport it door-to-door to the warehouse in Langkawi. Unload it so you're not even subjected to seawater in the ferry and everything else. Mm. When you want to use your car back or when you want to pay full tax, they can transport it back. So this service now has already started a few months ago. Yesterday was the launch of the service. At the moment, they're running it every week. And guess what? It's full every time they go out to Langkawi. What kind of fees do you have to uh, pay for this, Daniel? Okay, it, it varies because it's from where they pick up the car to where they bring it and then they right, to, right, you know, yeah. and move it and all that. So it's, it's variable. Mm. But I don't think it's all that much more expensive because why if you think about what you're moving mm. in terms of how many million ringgit i think you know even if you're paying double or triple so what you know yeah it's a smart idea it's a smart idea they're the only ones in malaysia doing it and when i research a little bit they're probably the only ones in the region doing it until they've heard it here on the show and now you know what's going to happen next week don't you 
Exactly, because why right, our show is heard all around the region. Right, it's not know? just going to be Star Trek carriers. We're going to have Star Wars, you exactly. know, carriers. We're going to have Ga- Guardians of the Galaxy carriers, and exactly. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm very sure some rich guy who has got maybe five or six luxury cars will say, "Hey, can you come and pick up my cars and send it to my country home mm. in don't know which state just to move it?" And then they say, "Yeah, sure, for any price, they will move these cars." So, you know, it's it's not only a service to take the cars up and down Lankawi. I think mm. pretty soon the service will be extended to just, you know, rich people. Or even, can you imagine now someone is having a classic car show mm. yeah, and some royalty has got a fantastic collection of classic cars. He will say, okay, I want to use StarTech carriers to move my classic cars from my palace to the show and back. Interesting you mentioned that because a couple of weeks ago, one of my friends had a car show and he himself had to drive 40 cars from Penang to KL. What? <laughs> Yes, yeah. he should have called us. We would have done the movement for him. Well, he, he, he didn't trust me, so okay. <laughs> well, I didn't want to be honest. I didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's Star Trek carriers. It's uh, it's running right now. So you know, if 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 you need the service, just give them a call. All right. Okay. 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 Anyway, I want to talk about BMW. Are you guys excited? Wow, that makes a change. You're talking about BMWs? I think this is a first on the show, right, Daniel? It's always about BMWs. (laughs) So tell us, what do you want to tell us about BMW now? Last week, there was a pretty big story. um, The fact that BMW Group acquired a company called Alpina. And this is pretty big news inside the BMW world. And there's a lot of BMW fans. We have one here, Richard Bradbury, Mm -hmm. uh, who owns a BMW. And is not enjoying the ownership experience, but that's another story <laughs> no, for a different I, I mean, day. It, I, I am, but yeah, story for another day. <laughs> and anyway, um, Alpina, BMW's longtime tuner partner, way back in the seventies, and they are not just any kind of you know performance enhancing tuner with bolt on this, bolt on that. These guys have built a relationship with a BMW over the decades since the 70s. And today, they even share production lines and, you know, they work together when developing cars as well in terms of engines and chassis development. Mm -hmm. And they are also recognized as a proper car manufacturer in Germany. They are, you know, called Alpinas. These cars are not options you take on a website. You don't buy a 5 Series and take it to a shop to attach the parts. You instead buy direct from Alpina itself. So if you wanted a 5 Series... You buy Alpina's version of the 5 Series called the B5. And these cars are really, really special. They're absolutely beautiful. I always think of them as the ultimate BMW because these are hand-built cars on BMW chassis built in low numbers. And what they essentially do is hide all of those mass manufacturing decisions like those little plastic panels inside your 3 Series that you don't particularly like. Instead, they will wrap it up in you know some kind of leather or wood, in fact. Mm-hmm. But their their stick, I guess, their stick is not motorsports. They have big wheels, typically are painted in green or blue. They either have brown or oyster white interiors, so super classy interiors. Uh, and, you know, they just design their cars to take on the autobahn, travel 300 kilometers an hour, as well as take on the spaghetti European B roads. And I've, I mean, I've always dreamed of owning an Alpina. They've always appealed to me differently as uh, as BMWs. Well, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the brand, but I do notice them at 
previously when we used to go for motor shows, you'll always have an Alpina stand somewhere. And they're very small. They never have like 30, 40 cars. They'll have like maybe one. You're lucky if you see two cars at their stands. And you know, mm. they'll always have just one rep. And that person will not come and hassle you when you go and open the door or anything. They're like yeah. so exclusive. It's like, I look at you, I can size you up. You can't afford it, you know? Mm. <laughs> and then if you go up and ask a question, they're very friendly. They say, yes, here's, a, here's a, some information. They never hand you a brochure, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. They just tell you, you know, here's some information. It's a little card. That's our website. Just go and see. Because they were not interested in going mass produced. That's number one. Mm, mm. Number two, if you look at the interior of their cars, today, it reminds me of what Rolls-Royce is doing to BMW cars. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. A Rolls-Royce today, sadly, is no longer a Rolls-Royce. You know what I mean? I mean, yes, it's fantastic. It's beautiful. But if you look at the interior of a Rolls-Royce and you look in the interior of an Alpina, is there hardly, there's hardly any difference. Mm. Well, now I'm going to be replying the email to Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just on the Alpina website right now and just reading a little yep. bit on the bottom. And it says Alpina customers are automobile gourmets, both demanding yes. and knowledgeable at the same time. Yes. Very nice. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yes. And if you read, if you read into their vehicle presentation, they don't mm. use fancy terms for their leather or wood or whatever they don't they don't try and mm. win you over with a with a dictionary of full of words you know what i mean not you just touch feel and you say okay i think this is it i'm buying it and i've only seen through memory maybe about four or five alpinas in malaysia these are true alpinas not someone just taking on a sticker or some badge you know I've seen a few on sale in the past year or so and, you know, at very enticing prices for such special cars. <laughs> yes, yes. And some people say, you know, like like recently there was a 3 Series Alpina for sale, okay? Yeah. And it was, it was I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was an E46, I think. And uh, the price was more than an M3 version. And, you know, someone was saying, ah, oh, this is a ripoff. I said, friend, if this is a true Alpina, assuming that everything is original and it is a real Alpina, it's not of a BMW M3 level. It's above that, you know? Mm. Yep. So you're buying something handmade, something very special, something that has got a lot of features that you will not see by just sitting down and having a drive, you know? I'm just looking at the BMW Alpina D3S limousine. This is the lowest model, lowest spec, and it comes in at 72,600 euros, 334,000 Malaysian ringgit. Base mm. model before tax. To be honest, though, kind of a reasonable price. It is. It is. You know, now that I guess you, the listeners, have a general idea of what Alpina is, that's why, you know, when BMW decided or rather announced that they were going to buy Alpina or acquire Alpina, it's a pretty big thing because, you know, this is low volume manufacturer uh, and Alpinas have always, you know, occupied that niche of BMWs. It's generally Alpinas are for the BMW enthusiasts who want a fast, sporty, but non-racy version of a BMW. And this idea of BMW buying Alpina was actually discussed way back when. And a lot of people uh, had thought about it just because they work so closely together. It's only a matter of time. BMW says... The reason for this is because of electric cars, electromobility, mm. increasing regulations about emissions and driver assistance systems, which means that you know small-scale manufacturers like Alpina or any other brand out there, even the Japanese brands, maybe not them as much, but it will be very difficult for these small companies and tuning companies and independent shops to try and build their brand onto something new because their expertise has always been 
for example, working on you know new exhaust systems or new uh, ECU tuning chips, uh, intakes and manifolds and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is kind of a strategic realignment, which I guess ensures Alpina is going to survive in the future and still build these super unique cars. But it does raise a few questions, particularly about how Alpina will fit into BMW. And this is something that... Uh, I really would love to see because currently, you know, you want a fast BMW, you buy a BMW M5, for example. Mm. But it's too racy. It's too hard. You drive it, you're being thrown around in the car on the road because the suspension is too stiff. The, the wheels are too big. Everything's just too too much. Maybe in the future, in 2026, when the new 5 Series comes out, it could be a BMW Alpina 5 Series, um, which is kind of like a highbrow BMW. It's too cool to go racing, you know. And I kind of like that idea. Luxury, fast, understated. That's what BMW M used to be. You know, it opens Alpina as well to the global market. So, for example, people like us, we could just walk into a BMW dealership and buy an Alpina. Mm-hmm. Like Daniel said, maybe they could turn Alpina up to 11 just like BMW did with Rolls-Royce. Or maybe they could, I don't know, can I use this word? Bastardize the brand a little bit? Mm. Yes. Yes, you can. Yep, yep. The other thing is, you know, you guys, both of you, should straight away go and find a sticker shop and make some Alpina stickers and put on the cars. <laughs> Immediately, your value will go up now because people will hear this on the radio and then they'll see you drive around tomorrow and say, Oh, that's a nice Alpina. I heard about it on BFM. Uh, start selling them on uh, Shopee and, and, and whatnot. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. That's what we should do. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take a short break here on Cruise Control. Uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. We've got some car launches with two European small electric cars. Stay tuned. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9. Because freedom matters. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm joined by my bestest friends in the entire world. It is Ari Fruz and Daniel Vernes from DSF.my. Of course, this is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. Come on. Come on, you don't want to say anything? Bestest yes. friends. I'm, I'm, ah. I'm touched. Tears yeah. are coming to my eyes. Tears. Okay. Anyway, he's, he's tearing. <laughs> now, uh, some car launches. Electric car launches. Indeed. Yeah. I want to start off with Mercedes because if you remember three, four years ago, there was this big, huge spiel from Mercedes-Benz Malaysia about emotional intelligence the mercedes eq brand and they were so oh, yes. proud yes and pfm also did some stuff with them you know we made an event we made some talk and whatever for it and it was very exciting but then it kind of disappeared didn't it mm. yep and uh you know we were all left wondering what's going to happen to that are, are mercedes going to go on an aggressive ev plan and in these past launches over the past few years, they've always invited me to interview the, uh, the, the bosses of Mercedes-Benz Malaysia. And I always ask them the question, what has happened to Mercedes EQ? Are we going to see anything? BMW launched their stuff. Volvo launched their stuff. Um, all the other brands, Hyundai, Toyota, they're, you know, they're making plans. But we haven't heard anything from Mercedes. Last week, it seems like they have done a really good job in hiding all of that news from a lot of people, or rather me. <laughs> I don't know if you knew a lot of these things, but uh, it, it caught me by surprise because um, it was the launch of their first ever electric car in Malaysia, and it's the EQA. 
And along with this announcement, you know, announced a whole heap of plans to launch 13 uh, DC fast chargers in several of their dealerships, as well as five new DC fast chargers along Petronas stations along the Malaysian highways. Um, so very, very big stuff. But the EQA in itself, very, very attractive car, guys. Mm-hmm. It's basically a GLA that's electrified. But it look, has, a, has a little bit of thing about it, you know. Like Daniel said, it does look like the GLA because it is built on the same platform. It looks very familiar, but with some key differences to showcase its all-electric capabilities. It's been tronned up. And what I mean by that is it's got some new new wheels, a new covered grille with light bars at the front and the rear, a different bumper. And on the inside, it's blue lines and EQ badging, you know, splits the difference a little bit more. Mm. Pretty cool stuff. Inside as well, it would feel a little bit different to drive, not just because it's electric powered, but also because the batteries are tucked under the floor pan. So you get a slightly different driving experience with a lower center of gravity, but also SUV feeling with a higher seating position. Interesting. It will feel very different from the GLA, I'm sure. Uh, Don't know if you have driven that, Daniel. No, we've not driven it. We're hoping to get it soon, but I think because the car is sold out, <laughs> as usual, <laughs> you know, all these cars are sold out. It'll take some time. But uh, what I have to say is, you know, number one, Mercedes has done a good job by making it look normal. You know, it doesn't look out of this world flamboyant, you know? So I think a lot of people walking into the showroom today to buy a normal GLA will look at this and say, hey, you know, it's a, f- it's a few dollars more, but I'm getting full electric and now we've got the charging stations running and, you know, I don't go out station that much and it's a Mercedes and yeah, why not? You know, why not? Good warranty and everything else. So I can see it moving quite well in terms of showroom sales. But the problem is, and I say this with a big but is, soon after they launched this, we, we saw a lot of uh, activity coming from Volvo Car Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And that's because they launched their electric version right after. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of price, Volvo has not shared the price, but we'll get into that later. But Volvo has said, okay, we're coming up with the XC40 recharge. It's fully electric. It's going to be local assembled, blah, blah, blah. It's got a lot of features and everything else. But Volvo didn't give a price. And you know why they didn't give a price? Why? Because, you see, being local assembled, they are the first company to local assemble an electric car. You have to wait for your incentives to clock in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm just guessing this. How much incentive can you get from an already tax-free car? I think they were mentioning something back, you know, when they announced this tax-free incentive thing that uh, if you import an electric car, it still gets the 30%. And if you locally produce an electric car, you get completely zero. Right. Also because the Volvo that's going to be local assembled here is going to be sold in all the neighboring countries. So each neighboring country could have their own little tax incentive based on where the car comes from. Mm. Mm. So I think Volvo is going for a wider audience. You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the thing that's happening in Malaysia right now. Like. There's a huge push for electric cars. Now, I'm sure you all remember last week we talked about the Hyundai Ionic 5. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, that Ionic 5 is a direct competitor to both these cars, right? Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But say now if the, all these cars were petrol-driven, you cannot use the word Hyundai in the same sentence as Volvo and Mercedes, right? Mm-hmm. But today, because electric cars are so common and, and so um, compatible in terms of their technology and everything else, Hyundai suddenly now can be put side by side with a Mercedes EQA and a Volvo XC40 to be compared. You get what I mean? Yeah. And the Hyundai is the same price. 
<laughs> Let's talk about pricing because I mean, I mean, obviously the the Volvo XC40 recharge the prices hasn't been revealed. Apparently they're going to reveal it next month in April. But right. the Ionic Five that was what two hundred and sixty thousand for the top spec. Right. You got the EQA, which is priced at two hundred and seventy eight thousand ringgit, and then you got the XC40, which could more or less be less than those two. But with right. more kit, so let's play a little game of what's the best of the three. What what takes your pick? If I'm gonna go first, I'm gonna go for the Mercedes. Mm. Now it's it's very simple. The badge. I'm in Malaysia. I look at the badge mm. because I yeah. got to think about resale value at some point. I'm not saying the Hyundai is any worse or the Volvo is any worse, but I still got to think about the badge because why? It's an electric car. You know, we don't know what the resale values are going to be like, how people are going to perceive it, how people are going to look at, you know, uh, a replacement battery and things like that. Now, with Mercedes, because the brand is so powerful still, mm. I have to go with Mercedes because the price is the same. Mm. Now, if the Hyundai was 50000 less uh, with comparable features and battery life and, and range, then maybe we can talk a little bit more. But I'm sorry, like, at this point, I have to go with the Mercedes. Yeah, I, I'd probably follow that plan too. Interesting. Yeah. I thought you guys would have been a little less uh, brand focused. <laughs> no, well, I mean, he makes sense. I, I like the looks of both the Ionic and and the Volvo, but if it comes to yeah resale value and, and whether or not I want to shift this at some point further down the line, first of all, you know, the Mercedes brand is extremely strong, and it's likely that it'll be easier to get parts for it. There'll be more places to get it from. Uh, I'd imagine it makes sense to do that. Sadly. I'm I'm gonna go with the Volvo. I think it's. Uh, I love the way it looks. I'll I, I'll say that. But I mean, the, the Volvo has to have a lot of advantages being you know locally produced. Volvo's gradually increasing the brand presence. They're you know becoming more premium, more posh, I guess, more more cosmopolitan for people like me who want to test drive Volvo V60s all the time. Uh, <laughs> I think Volvo would be my second choice. But if you if you take all three together, in terms of take away the branding, take away the logos and and the heritage and everything else, Apple to Apple, they're all about the same. Yeah. Okay. But the Hyundai seems to come across as having more features and a higher quality interior. Plus, the Hyundai is bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bigger vehicle. It's got more road presence. And because it looks so unusual, you will definitely get people looking at you. Now, if you drive the Volvo XC40 electric, it looks like the regular one just different wheels and and there's no grill you know what i mean yeah mm. you drive the mercedes the same thing it looks almost like the like the gla uh, different grill different wheels so people will not really notice you but if you arrive in the ionic 5 people will salute you people will take out their handphones people will ask you <laughs> hey that's an electric car hey how much you paid uh? hey how are you charging uh? hey how far can go uh? uh this is all the questions they'll ask you you know what i'm going to change my mind i'm going to change my mind i'm going with the hyundai you see, I managed yeah. to convince you because I know your ah. brand conscious. <laughs> I mean, I, I just had a second glance at it, you know, and I just, yeah, I'm going with the Hyundai. Sorry. Yes. If it's only on looks, I'm going with the Hyundai. Yeah. And, you know, there's more space for you, Richard, because you are tall. I got big legs, yeah. Yeah, you'll find you'll find the, the space inside fantastic for you, you know? Mm, mm. Now, the Volvo is smaller. RF, no issue because he's small size. The Mercedes is wider, good for me because I've, I've got a big belly. But <laughs> the, the thing is now, you see, what I'm trying to say with, with this whole statement is how Hyundai has now joined the ranks of the premium Germans and Swedes and no one is thinking twice about it. Mm. That's true. You know, just because they've gone electric. The world has changed more than we know it. Yes, yes, huh. yes. So imagine now when the Kia EV6 electric car comes in, they are going to be in the same 
segment as these three cars and the person buying the Mercedes or the Volvo is also going to look at the Kia and say, mm, maybe I'll get the Kia because it looks really great. It does look really great. Mm. Anyway, I just want to finish this segment with a few technical points. We covered the Ionic a few weeks ago, so you can visit our website, pfn.my or Spotify or whatever to uh, listen to that coverage again. But the EQA, we got single motor, 190 horsepower, quite reasonable, 400 kilometers of electric range, 10 to 80% DC charging in 30 minutes, whereas your regular 11 kilowatt hour charger will take about five hours. Not too bad. There is no frunk of fruit that is a front boot or a front trunk that's occupied by the electric powertrain. Perhaps the most surprising thing about this small SUV is the fact that this small SUV weighs two tons. It's not fat, it's big boned. <laughs> <laughs> also coming with the car, it offers a four-year unlimited mileage manufacturer warranty, which is very, very nice. Um, Eight-year, 160,000-kilometer battery warranty, and they also sell home charges with a two-year warranty on those. Decent package for 278000 and as we were talking about just now, it's totally up to you. For the Volvo XC40 Recharge, launching officially, you can order it online like you do with any of your foods. It does have a frunk and a fruit. Uh, it has a dual motor with a bigger battery and more power. All-wheel drive, 408 horsepower in this little car. Doesn't weigh two tons, but very close. 4.9 second sprint, which is irrelevant. But other Volvo news, the new C40, which is the hatchback version of this XC40, will be launching soon. And as Volvo added at the end of their press conference as well, the hope with these two cars is to spur Volvo's electric car sales in Malaysia to 75% by 2025. Ooh. So that's very, very lofty goals, isn't it, guys? That's optimistic. Yeah. yeah. But it's possible. It's very possible because, you know, globally, that's the direction of the company for every mm. country they're in. They didn't give us a price, right? Yep. They didn't share the price because the price is not ready yet because of the incentives. Now, you heard it here first. I'm going to give you my guess price, okay? Mm. 258,000 ringgit. Oh, okay. okay. Somebody make a note of that. Now, I'm going to tell you this and you, you can check it for yourself. Uh, you don't have to believe me. You know, I, I did guess the Hyundai Ionic price. My price was 198 and it came out at 199. So it's just 1,000 difference. Now, I'll tell you how I got this price. Very simple. Just check what is the selling price of the EQA around the globe. Mm. Take an average, okay, say in US currency, and then you see how much they charge in Malaysia and you know what kind of margin they're looking at. The same mm. thing I did with the Volvo. I look at the XC40 EV selling price around the globe. I took an average, converted to US currency, and 258000 is my prediction. We shall see in a couple of weeks. We yes. shall indeed. Yes. Uh, one final thing, you know, these two brands, BMW and Mercedes, you know, when they are launching their electric cars, they mentioned like, oh, we're going to make all of these plans to partner up with power companies and local people to set up the charging infrastructure and everything. Volvo does not think that that is the way. Oh. They say that they're not looking to trailblaze with all of this charging infrastructure. They said they've spoken to all of their owners and they apparently their owners wouldn't mind charging at home or in office because, you know, if they wanted to drive across country in their Volvos, they could always just buy another Volvo S90. <laughs> what? <laughs> they didn't specifically say it that way, but you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but you see, the thing is now, you don't need to partner up with anybody to get your customers uh, charging stations because why? Mm. There'll still be a lot of public charging stations coming up mm, mm. and you just buy the pre paid cards and you just charge along the way 
and you know, like Volvo thinks about it, they are not going to go long distance with their car because they're still going to have another car in the house for that long distance travel. Yep. All right. Time to wrap up for this segment. So when we come back, uh, we'll be looking at a used car review. It's a 2009 Mercedes-Benz E-Class W212. Don't go anywhere. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM 89.9. Bombing Frustrated Minds, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. Final segment of today's show, as usual, a show in three parts. If you missed the first two, we spoke about tire prices going up. We talked about car carriers talk about BMW buying Alpina and we've just had the launch of two European small electric cars and a discussion that went into the ether for quite some time make sure you do catch that now though it's time to come back down to earth with a bit of a bump and we're speaking about a used Mercedes-Benz W212 E-Class take it away Daniel 212 E-Class now I remember going for the launch of this car it was uh, in one of the hotels uh, in Sunnibasi uh Fantastic launch, right at the lawn. They had the cars parked there. But at the launch, they only had one version, the E300. Before this Mercedes E-Class came out, the W212, the earlier model had round lights, you know, like 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 peanut-shaped lights, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people loved it or hated it. And I'm one, one of those people who just, till today, I just, I cannot accept it. I'm sorry. I absolutely love it. Oh, really? You like the round lights? Love it, yeah. Oh, sorry. You know, just, just not my <laughs> cup of tea. So when I saw this one with, you know, with the squared off, you know, rectangular looking lights, I said, oh, finally, they got it right. Because, you know, it just doesn't carry it for me, you know. Mm. And this model had a lot of sharp edges right down to the boot lid, to the bumper treatment and everything else. It had a lot of sharp edges. So to me, it was very modern, very inviting design. Of course, this was, you know, 13 years ago and, you know, Every car, had, you know, starting to evolve. But when I got inside the car, I realized how sporty it was, you know. Um, mm. You know, the steering wheel, the, the layout, and, you know, even the, the infotainment system was sort of, you know, not, not touchscreen or anything else, but it was sort of integrated into the dashboard layout. And you had three big dials, you know, my type of car, mm. you know, in terms of the looks and everything else. So, of course, you know, Mercedes launched it. It was a hefty price, guys. 455,000 ringgit for E300. Unimaginable today. Yeah, can you imagine? Because a few years later, they brought in the S-Class Hybrid. And it was just 20,000 more at 470 plus, you know? Mm. So, I thought, my God, what a price. But it sold. Because why? Malaysians, they got money, lah, you know? <laughs> Where? <laughs> not not with BFM, lah. <laughs> Outside. So... It sold quite well. Then about six, seven months later, they launched the E200 and the E250. Now, with the 200 and 250, this was Mercedes' first gamble with a small capacity engine. Mm. Now, can you imagine an E-Class coming in with a 1.8-liter engine? (laughs) No way. Now, before this, you could never try and sell it. But because, you know, they were slowly looking at, you know... Uh, better fuel consumption, giving people more, you know, freedom to say, sipping less fuel and things like that. So it was a turbocharged 1.8 liter engine mm-hmm. called the E200 CGI or the E250 CGI. Now, between the two, 
Bolt was still using a 1.8 engine. This was also where Mercedes was gambling with tuning. But with the 200, you get 185 horsepower. The 250, you get 204 horsepower. But it's the torque that makes the real difference. With the E200, you get 270 newton meters, which is pretty decent. But with the E250, you get 310, which you can really feel when you drive it. Now, the problem is these cars came in fully loaded, as with all other E-Class models. And the prices are also fully loaded. The E200 at 370000 and the E250 at 410000 Initially, people were like, hey, I'm not paying eh, almost mm. 400000 eh, for a 1.8-litre Mercedes, you know. Mm. Because it always... In everybody's mind is, if I buy a Mercedes, I get a big engine, big engine, big engine, big engine. If I want a small engine, I get an A-class or a B-class, you know? Mm. Yeah. But slowly, as people started test driving the cars, as people started getting the cars, because this E-class also grew in size, in width and in length. So it was spacious, it was well-equipped, started selling. And within a year, the grey importers started bringing in and they flooded the market with a much cheaper EW212 and everybody was driving one. Today, if you look around, you actually see a lot on the road, but you never really notice which version it is because you're not looking at it as a desirable car, you know? Mm. Now, the only reason why I brought it up this week was because someone I knew, as always, mentioned it to me and said, you know, I'm looking at buying this car. What do you think? And I said, huh? I remember it being quite expensive. Uh, let me let me check what's the, the use price now. So he had done his research. So he had all his screen captures on his handphone. He said, no, it's it's between, you know, 60,000, 72,000, 75,000, 68,000. He had about, you know, 10 different uh, screen captures. I said, really? That price? Not bad. Because I remember it being almost 400,000 brand new. So, of course, I did a bit of research and I got all the prices right and everything else. Then I went back to him and said, okay, which one are you getting? I said, he says, no, I want the E200 because well, I don't need all that much power. I've got enough torque. And, you know, one point in, my Rotex is cheap. It's fuel sipping. It's still a modern design. I can still, you know, arrive in style. And he can still get a small loan on the car. Mm. Because the model he was looking at was actually 2011 model, two years after the launch. And it was uh, initially a grey import. So the current owner uh, traded it into a used car dealer. So he had found it in a used car dealer. Supposedly, this used car dealer had allowed him to check the car. He brought his mechanic and everything else. But he just wanted to sit with me and say, what do you think? I said, listen, at this price, between sixty to 65000 ringgit, how much more can you lose? Maybe twenty, thirty thousand 30000 in the next five years? And that's not too bad. Mm. You know, you're driving around in a nice Mercedes. Uh, you know, maintenance is not that difficult. There's a lot of parts because there's a lot of models in town. Mm-hmm. So he ended up getting the car. And after he got the car, he came over to my house to, to pick me up. And, you know, I got to say, some of these old Mercs, if they're well looked after, they don't age. The interior doesn't age. There's no cracked plastics. There's no cracked leather. The roof lining is still solid. The headdress doesn't, you know, it's not, dis- not discolored. Uh, you know, the steering wheel, the gear lever, everything doesn't feel like it's been used. Yeah. And, you know, he, he paid 62000 and then there was a 3000 processing fee with, you know, with the Pushpacom and JPJ and runner's fee and everything. So 65000 ringgit, he got himself pretty decent Mercedes. 11 years old, he got a small loan. He got a two-year loan. He said, I mean, I'll take a two-year loan and just pay, you know, every, every month a few thousand ringgit. But end of the day, what I'm trying to say is this is a forgotten, might be a forgotten good deal in the market right now. I totally agree with that. I think it's also worth mentioning that the previous version of this uh, E-Class, the 211, the one with the round headlines, the ones right. that you don't like, right. there were a lot of complaints about the reliability issues of that car and the build quality of that car. You know, it just wasn't up to standard. But, uh, you know, apparently with this E-Class, the 212, it was a proper brute. It was vastly improved over the 211, yes. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and when you shut the door, the old Mercedes thud was there. Mm. All the things that you touched just felt, you know, trim and it made you feel good, really. When my friend arrived in, in my house, I mean, I, I got into the car. When I shut the door and I sat in the car, I looked around and said, you know, if if I wasn't a car enthusiast, I was just some some ding-dong off the street. I'll think, hey, brother, you just bought a new Mercedes, you know? <laughs> because yeah. there, there's nothing that looked worn in the car, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Final question then. Um, mm-hmm. This period of uh, German cars, three very popular ones. There's the BMW 5 Series. Audi A6 Hybrid or this car? Well, if you, if you look at the BMW version, the, I mean the competitor, which was the F10, right? Yeah. Now, the F10, very popular, so many on the road. Somehow or other, you don't have to listen to what I'm saying. You can actually go into used car dealers and check this. The F10 interior wears out so fast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, door handles, buttons, knobs, roof lining, even the leather seats. You know, they just, they're like self-consumption, you know, they've just consumed themselves. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> and when you look around, even the car may look great on the outside, but when you get on the inside, it looks so worn that you say, this looks like a car that's 15, 20 years old. Mm. Now, with the same thing, if you go and see an Audi A6, TFSI 2-litre turbo, around the same age, okay? Of course, Audi had the hybrid version, which was uh, very popular at one time, but then now its its resale value has dropped because of the hybrid issue. But if you get the normal TFSI 2-litre, it's about the same asking price, maybe 10000 less if you're lucky. The interiors are rock solid. Like the Mercedes, the interiors are rock solid. You don't see a lot of wear. You don't see a lot of damages. And, you know, m- not many were sold. So most owners actually looked after those cars, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, very few grey importers came in. So you can get a full service history. You can check with, with uh, Euromobile who used to sell these cars. Between the three cars, I got to say, the F10 is a really nice car to drive. Beside his age and all that. But with that interior so worn out, I'll have to go with the Mercedes guys. Well, well, well. That's it then for today. Ladies and gents, thank you very much for tuning in as per usual. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, check out our Instagram. There's some very pretty pictures on there. Arif might even post a selfie if you're lucky, if you ask him nicely. Uh, We've had a car show in three parts. We started off with tyre prices, car carriers, BMW buying Alpina. Then we had a couple of European small electric cars launched. And then wrapping up there, a glowing review of a used car, the 2009 Mercedes-Benz E-Class W212. If you missed any part of the show, download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. We recommend the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. We'll be back same time, same place next week here on BFM. On behalf of myself, Arif Ruz and Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my, this has been Cruise Control on BFM 89.9. for listening to this podcast to find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on itunes bfm 89.9 the business station